Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. In a rural county in northern Maine, there's a school bus driver who will not start his engine until he's greeted and made eye contact with every child on the bus. In Philadelphia, a woman who suffered years of sexual abuse by her father learns to dance out her rage and shame in movement therapy workshops offered at her neighborhood clinic. And in Walla Walla, Washington, an alternative high school has seen suspension rates drop since staff started approaching kids with a new question in mind. Not what's wrong with you, but what's happened to you. What does your parents' divorce have to do with your risk of heart disease? Or being bullied as a child have to do with your increased risk of autoimmune disease like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis? Today we'll talk about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Some childhood experiences are so stressful, they can alter brain development, the immune system, and impact long-life health and cause social problems in adulthood. What is ACEs? You're about to find out. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to give you information to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. My guest today is health psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Kolakowski from the Department of Family Medicine from Beaumont Health. Thanks for being here today, Dr. Kolakowski. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. So I work for Beaumont and I work in the family medicine department over in Gross Point. Um, I'm a clinical health psychologist by training. So um, I do see patients, um, you know, in that office, I see them for a variety of issues that might be anxiety, depression, um, definitely childhood trauma, which we're going to talk about today. Um, but uh, also health-related conditions, so people adjusting to a chronic illness. Um, a large part of my job is uh, training physicians, so people who are in uh, training um, to be family medicine physicians. I work with them on on how do you talk to a patient about uh, depression or anxiety, and you know uh, what's the best way to communicate and um, kind of have uh, some of these crucial conversations. And what brought you to really focus a lot on ACEs? You've done a lot of talks in the community about ACEs. You've brought the tool to the residency program. What really got you into that? I'd say probably about five or six years ago, I uh, went to a talk that Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris was doing. And so she was kind of looking at uh, this work a lot in a pediatric population. Uh, at the same time, I was working with a school-based health center um, uh, with a lot of children that had trauma, and we were kind of looking at how we could use this information to help inform the care that the uh, medical providers were giving and, and kind of get a better understanding of of what those children were bringing to the table when they came in for their routine visit about asthma or something. So ACEs comes from a CDC Kaiser Permanente study that discovered childhood trauma leads to adult onset of chronic disease, depression, and other mental illness. Violence and being a victim of violence, as well as financial problems and social problems in your future. So, Jennifer, can you tell me today about the ACEs study? It was actually something that started being studied, you know, after um, kind of innocently one of the physicians who was doing some obesity work um, was starting to look at the dropout rates for his patients. And in particular, he was interested in the people who were dropping out after losing a good amount of weight. And so um, he wasn't finding kind of the, the trends that he would normally find. He thought that people would kind of slowly gain weight over time. And he found that it was very dramatic shifts. And 
So he started looking at the dropout rate, which was pretty high, and I think he was kind of worried about the project that they were doing at the time. And so, you know, as uh, Dr. Folletti talks about, he decided to do some face-to-face interviews with those people, and they started looking at kind of what was going on in those people's lives at the time. And so he actually started looking into the idea of abuse kind of, you know, being related to this by accident. So instead of asking the patient, how old were you when you were first sexually active, he actually said, how much did you weigh when you were first sexually active? Mm -hmm. Which in his mind was a misspeak. And the woman actually answered 40 pounds. So she went on to talk to him about how, you know, she was a victim of sexual assault and, you know, as a young girl and kind of how this played into a lot of things. And so he started to ask that question as far as, you know, um, different aspects of abuse and, and that type of thing to a lot of these patients. And he started following some common threads. And so that's kind of how the ACEs study got started. And then he kind of built on it from there where they were interviewing um, thousands of individuals and, and kind of looking at these dynamics within, you know, a lot of different people. So it started off as an obesity study is what you said. Yeah. And they found that people were having trouble keeping up with the program because of adverse childhood experiences such as abuse. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about um, the scoring of ACEs? Because there's a score, right? That you can go online and take an ACEs test and get a score. And then what is the significance of that score? It kind of goes uh, scored easily from 1 to 10. There's 10 different questions on the the inventory that you would have a patient fill out. And if you have one, there's an 87% chance that you'll have two or more. So Mm -hmm. they kind of lump together in that way. Um, And each kind of trauma counts for one no matter how many times it's occurred in a person's life. So if your parent has been divorced or you have a father and a mother who've been divorced, you don't get double points for that. That just means you've experienced something in that category. So if you were bullied in first grade and third grade and fourth grade, it it just counts as one? It would just be one Okay. in that kind of category. It's just 10 questions. They're yes or no. And you're basically saying, did this happen to me in my life or not? And so it's those questions about, you know, were your parents divorced? Yes or no. Did you have a parent that had a mental illness? Uh, Yes or no. Were you a victim of sexual assault? Yes or no. And you just kind of go through the the question. So adverse childhood experiences are really just things that happen to us under the age of 18 that, you know, by all intensive purposes would be considered adverse, meaning they weren't great things to have happen to us. So there's 10 questions, and so the maximum score is 10. Right. It's really a tool to help us understand health outcomes that we might face, um, as opposed to kind of a personality test. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely not an IQ test or a personality or something that you would have to be worried about someone you know, necessarily judging you on. It's really, you know, these are personal details you know about your life. And so in some offices, actually, you know, they might not even ask, they will ask a patient to to score, let's say, even if you had a printed out copy of the 10 things, they would ask a patient, what is your ACEs score? And not necessarily which categories did you mark, mm-hmm. right? So the number, the score, it really represents how much different kinds of trauma you've had. And it's less important it, for this specific, you know, context on what types of trauma you checked. So, you know, if, if a provider is, let's say, you know, talking with you and they know you have a high ACEs score of seven, 
um, it, it doesn't, you know, always play in that you have to have a conversation about, you know, each individual sexual assault contact that you had or, you know, all those instances of bullying. It really just, it, it summarizes that, you know, your brain has been under stress for a long time, you know, especially since, since childhood. And so, you know, what the provider immediately knows is that, you know, maybe your immune system needs a little bumping up sometimes and maybe, you know, this kind of factors in um, strategies to be able to deal with uh, the fact that your brain is seeing, seeing threat everywhere now because of what you've experienced. That is really what the score represents rather than, you know, uh, you know, are you good enough as a human being? Yeah. And I think it, then as a physician, I can use it as a preventative tool to help build resilience in my patients. And it's something that can help us be better at coping and uh, and practically almost you know rewire our brain and heal our body from this chronic inf- inflammation from stress. Yeah, I think you know some some people might look at it as you know does this um, having ad- this childhood trauma and having this ACE score turn into a crutch for someone, or does it turn into like an excuse for why things are the way they are? And I. I don't, in my experience with patients, that has not been the case. I, I think, um, like Dr. Valetti, you know, one of the study authors uh, talks about, I've, in his re- responses with from patients, I've gotten the same feedback from patients. Their first response is, ah, mm-hmm. those things are related. That makes sense. Um, a lot of times I've gotten responses from patients of, you know what, I've been in doctor's offices all my life and no one's ever asked me that question. And, and that is meaningful to them that, that we actually think that those things mattered, right? So the fact that your parents got divorced, well, 50% of the population's parents got divorced. Like, you know, it's not a problem. Well, when that happened and your dad had to go to jail for a little while because this happened and, you know, you had this other person in your life or, you know, you were sexually assaulted, those things add up and it matters. And I think that that's the message that patients take is that it matters. And, it's not a, a, a death sentence for you to have health, uh, bad health outcomes, but it definitely matters and it affects your body. Yeah, I think we underestimate how much our social circumstances really have an effect on our health. Right. So uh, people with an ACE score of four uh, are twice as likely to be smokers and seven times more likely to be alcoholics. So mm-hmm. that four and that five are really kind of where um, we start to see in the you know hundreds of p- research papers that have been published about this um, in the original study, and then there's been you know hundreds more uh, that have been done uh, after uh, that original group was kind of looked at. The the data seems to look the same no matter where we're doing it. In that you know once we get to um, an ACE score of five and, and even greater, that's when a lot of the the health outcomes really turn kind of poor for individuals. Yeah, I was reading that people with a high ACE score are more likely to be violent in adulthood, have more marriages, have more broken bones, um, be on more prescription medications, have more depression and more autoimmune disease. So what is the kind of the score that is um, worrisome? Is it, is it six or higher? Or um, wh- I've heard that number six. Definitely you're concerned as they start to approach and six, you know, five and six are kind of those numbers, but it's really about the more ACEs you have, the greater risk for that chronic disease and and the violence. And so, you know, if you can look from zero to 10, you know, different things happen at at different levels and that's what they found in the research. So for example, you know, if you have the ACE score four, then 
you're, you know, twice as likely to become a smoker or seven times to be an alcoholic. Um, you also have the increased risk for bronchitis at nearly 400% and attempted suicide by 1,200%. And then once you get over that, so the higher the ACE score, um, for example, people with an ACE score of six or higher at a risk of their lifespan being shortened by 20 years. Whoa, whoa. Six, you have a, a chance of having your lifespan being shortened by 20 years? That, I mean, to me, that's crazy. I mean, I don't think there should be anything in our childhood that puts us at risk of having a shortened lifespan by 20 years. Um, no wonder, you know, Oprah Winfrey talks a lot about ACEs, and she said it, it's not only impactful, but it's revolutionary. Do you think the ACEs study is revolutionary, and why? Some of the research that had been done in the ACEs study, you know, it was done in the medical community, right? So, you know, the people that were doing the original study were physicians, and yet, you know, the majority of the medical community now does not really understand this data. And so, you know, where the study kind of first started coming out was in the mental health community. People were that were informed about the uh, individuals that have a history of trauma and what does that look like. And so I think part of the importance and, and kind of the good thing about um, this data coming out and us re, you know, invigorating kind of looking at this is so that when a patient walks into a doctor's office, that understanding of what happened before ages of 18, that's not just something that's important for a therapist's couch somewhere that mm -hmm. people assume that would be the case. It's really important for someone to understand so that they can kind of really talk with people about their health risks and how that might have played in. And so, uh, you know, for that reason alone, it's definitely revolutionary. Yeah, I've started using the ACEs screening on my patients, and I found that many of them sort of have an aha moment, like, oh my goodness, maybe this is why I have this chronic pain, or maybe this explains why, regardless of what I do, I'm, I'm having trouble losing weight, or I have no family history of heart disease, but now you know I'm having trouble with heart disease. So it's almost like an explanation uh, to look back at what happened to you in your childhood. So if we can go back a little bit and talk about what ACEs breaks down to. So it breaks down into you know abuse in childhood and neglect and household dysfunction, right? Yeah, you can kind of look at it like there's these 10 different types of childhood trauma, um, five of which in, you know, on the ACEs survey are more personal. So they're the different types of abuse and neglect that happen to a person. And mm -hmm. then the other five are more related to family members. So mm -hmm. the fact that your parents got divorced or you were living with a, a mom who had bipolar disorder or um, who had a substance use problem, those are kind of externally you know, related to the, the individual. Have you taken the ACEs test? I have. Have uh, you? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. actually took it, and my score was three. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, I I don't feel like I had any major trauma as a right. child, and then when I actually took the test, I saw that it was three, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I thought, "Oh my gosh," um, but I thought at least it's not four. Well, if you think about it, the divorce rate is over fifty percent, and that's one right there for a lot of people. I've had you know the physicians that I train you know at Beaumont take it. We've given it to patients. I've had you know coworkers take it. And, and most people are pretty surprised that these incidences in their childhood that in their mind they're past or they've been able to kind of overcome in so many ways, which, you know, is kind of resilience. We'll talk about, you know, mm -hmm. what that is, but um, that that they kind of add up. And so the number, you know, it can be seven or, and these are well-functioning people, right? These are not people who are having a lot of stressors in their life currently, or they don't, you know, kind of see that as. So it's important to also realize that this is, you know, this does not make or break someone's life, right? This, this is not a, a death sentence for people. 
you know, when I think of childhood trauma, I think of like Malala, you know, the child in Pakistan that was shot by the Taliban, you know, um, or people in the inner cities um, that are around a lot of violence. But the ACES study was done and reported on an upper middle class college educated population and mostly Caucasian. So it's a screening tool essentially that can apply to anybody, right? I think that's the most surprising thing that people realize about the ACES study when it's being talked about at a conference or a workshop and or even when you talk to patients about it, that the people that were in the original study and, and the other ones have, have been people you know, who are just living their life. And, you know, a lot of them actually, in the original study, they worked at Kaiser. Mm-hmm. So these are people who, you know, they, maybe they were physicians or nurses or, you know, they had um, edu- high educational backgrounds and, you know, they were raising families and um, just kind of everyday people. You know, I always say that um, what's predictable is preventable. So can ACEs be prevented? We think so. I mean, we like to think that, um, you know, some of the work that's been, you know, kind of looking upstream at the problem. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of great work that can be done with adults and, and we can kind of talk about that. But with children and families, you know, that's where the prevention is. So um, certain organizations, there's a, a great physician, uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who she has a fabulous YouTube video. If people haven't seen it, she does a, a TED talk. Um, she, you know, in her work in her office as a pediatrician does a lot of upstream work with families. And so when they identify families who are at risk for possibly having some of these things happening in their house, neglect or abuse issues, they will really work with the community organizations to start intervening and start maybe giving parenting lectures, uh, training, supporting the family in some way. If, if it's uh, a parent who's having, you know, family therapy, well, then that, that could prevent one of the ACEs is that, you know, divorce doesn't happen in that family or or it's not as traumatic of a divorce. If it's someone who has an alcohol problem, then you know it's it's helping you know the, the the family member, not necessarily the child, in order to kind of prevent some of those things from from occurring. ACEs kind of affects our communities, and I find that more schools are becoming trauma informed. You know, sort of to help interrupt this cycle. You know, what is trauma informed care? So it's kind of just like an organizational structure or like a treatment framework from which an organization would work that kind of just really respects and understands and identifies that uh, there's lots of different kinds of trauma. And um, and one of the main goals is to not re-traumatize people. So if you're working in an organization, let's say it's a mental health organization or even in your family doctor's office, there's a lot of ways that people can be trauma-informed and, and kind of respect that uh, everybody walking through the door possibly is coming in with some trauma. So even if it's the way that we would do an annual PAP exam and the words that we would use or the, the framework from which we would work, uh, there's lots of ways that you could be trauma-informed. Okay, so it's sort of looking more at you know what happened to you in your life that might have you reacting a certain way or behaving a certain way what, rather than sort of putting blame Um, on the person for their behavior. Exactly. I mean, even uh, from the moment that you walk into, you know, a hospital or doctor's office and how you're greeted and a smile and, um, you know, those can re-trigger memories of, you know, different experiences people have had and kind of set the stage for, you know, more, uh, more stress. And part of the thing that we didn't talk, you know, a lot about, we talked about the neurobiology of uh, the stress response, but part of that is that the body, because it's been under so much chronic stress, you know, a little bit of stress is okay. If you have a, a loved one die, then, you know, you're, you're kind of um, having that stressful time for a while. But usually if you have a supportive environment around you, you move forward. But these chronic stress, you know, situations put us at 
this risk for, you know, we're always looking for the bear outside of our cave. If we take it back, you know, um, back yeah. to caveman Dave's, we're always thinking that there's a threat there. And so, you know, when you walk into any environment, the brain is just looking for threat, looking for threat. And, you know, and, and that obviously has an effect on our immune system later on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because over time, if you're under constant presence of stress, your adrenaline goes up and your cortisol goes up. And then that turns into high blood pressure, it weakens the heart and the circulatory system, and it can also raise your glucose levels. And because what you're trying to do is, and your body's trying to f- do this fight or flight response, right? So you're trying to have this energy um, to be prepared for this flight or flight, but after a while, it starts affecting your heart and your muscles. And um, the chronic toxic stress cycle is what leads people to, you know, diabetes or cardiovascular disease, you know, and too much adrenaline, cortisol can also increase your cholesterol and too much cortisol can even lead to osteoporosis. And that's why a lot of people who have um, high ACEs scores end up with arthritis or gastrointestinal diseases um, and then depression and anorexia. So now, you know, we talked about children and having... Uh, trauma-informed care in schools and other places. But when you're an adult and you've already sort of had that trauma and, you know, you've done, let's say you go online and you do the ACEs scoring and you find out you have a high score and maybe you are struggling with something like fibromyalgia or any of these other conditions that I mentioned, you know, what can be done? You know, like you said, it's not a death sentence. So then what do you do? You're like, okay, I've got this score. I already had the trauma. Well, how do I make it better? Yeah. And I think that that's a, a really important, you know, aspect is how do we use this to inform the care and, you know, th- that we get for our patients where if it's children or adolescents, you're more looking at, you know, letting them know that hey, you're more at risk. And, you know, it's really important for us to work on these things. But, you know, if you're a 45-year-old woman and you have four, you know, um, medical conditions that are plaguing you at this point, and you can't go back to before 18 and, and mm-hmm. kind of reverse that. Um, the, the good news is there's lots that we can do. And, you know, I think that the power of, of our of our brain, um, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of shaping that stress response up is also able to kind of redevelop neural networks to be able to engage the brain to kind of look at that part of our nervous system that helps calm everything down, we can we can build those strategies. So it's kind of like a, a gym for your brain exercises that, you know, you can do. What are some of those exercises that, so, you know, like working out to make your body physically fit, what can you do to work out your brain so that it can be uh, strong to kind of fight against these um, adverse childhood events? I mean, mindfulness, I, I think um, it's almost becoming a little bit of a buzzword that people are mm-hmm. hearing about meditation, mindfulness. Sometimes they think it looks like becoming a, a Buddhist monk or, you know, in a yoga room somewhere. And, and those could be part of it, but um, really just the process of being aware. And so, um, you know, not uh, being kind of sucked into technology and on our phone all the time and, and really being where we are. So if that's outside in nature, that's great. Or if it's talking to our spouse, then it's really being there. And And, um, you know, the whole idea is kind of getting out of our head a little bit because when we have these threats that we're perceiving and looking at, that that's time spent in our head and not in real life. So we're not kind of connecting with the emotions at the moment and with other people. And we know that those were all the powerful things that would have prevented the ACEs from being so problematic before. Dr. James Pennybaker, he's a psychologist from the University of Texas in Austin. And he had suggested that writing was a great way to heal. Um, And that there was a study done that had uh, a group of people that sort of wrote about their childhood experiences and their relationship with their parents 
and their loved one, and they would have people write for 20 minutes a day. And they found that um, it was quite healing for the patients that over time, by doing that writing, they were able to sort of bring up memories of the past that they had sort of suppressed and didn't realize that it did kind of bother them. Um, and it was hu- helping them to be more resilient. So what do you think about, like, for example, now, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything that happened in my childhood that was so terrible. Um, would it be beneficial for me to just sit down and start writing about my childhood to, you know, make me more resilient? It definitely can't hurt because the more that we have insight and introspection, um, and also the more that we kind of let our emotions um, kind of and, and thoughts and feelings, you know, out, we do a lot of keeping things locked in boxes, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll have a lot of patients probably tell you that, you know, oh, I just compartmentalize that, or I just put that away under the rug somewhere, and I don't deal with that. But what we know that the truth is, is that really thought suppression and feeling suppression doesn't work. And so, yeah. you know, really those, it's like a game of whack-a-mole, like you're hitting one and another one pops up and you're trying to, you know, smash something down. So, so that, cathartic piece of expressive writing or um, even if it's through art or, you know, another form, um, you know, and just simply talking about these things, you know, is, is usually a, a very healing experience for people. And they, they kind of pick up pieces that they might not have, you know, otherwise had. And, and it doesn't have to be about that. I mean, we can use this for people who suffer with chronic pain and, you know, a lot of other things that, you know, definitely play into some emotional trauma or, you know, things that have been unhealed. I've had some patients that would just write things things down um, about their childhood, positive and negative experiences, and then they just like rip it up and throw it away. So it's not for anyone else to see. It's just sort of to, to bring up things that have happened and sort of acknowledge it and then, you know, learn how to be resilient. So along those lines, let's talk about resilience. So Tony Robbins says events in our lives don't control our lives, but our decisions do. You know, what exactly is resilience and how does it play a role in ACEs? So I think the basic element of resilience is that that bounce back, right? So, you know, when we have, ad, you know, adversity in our life and, and things that have happened to us from, you know, what most people might think as a very horrific thing, you were talking about war-torn areas or, you know, not knowing whether you're going to get bombed on your way to school all the way to where something, you know, that some people might consider minor, but, you know, being stuck in a traffic jam or, mm-hmm. you know, so you have these different experiences and one's ability to be able to just kind of bounce back from that, meaning that they don't kind of take, you know, take you under with them and that you don't get wrapped up in all the thoughts and feelings. And, you know, one spilling coffee on yourself this morning doesn't ruin the whole day. Um, that's, you know, kind of an example of that resilience. And so it's you know, a sort we... of reframing your mind, yeah. per se, sort of getting rid of that negative self-talk of, you know, oh, gosh, I, you know, I'm late for work or oh, you know, kind of putting yourself down uh, throughout the day because of little things that might happen. And it's sort of shifting your mind to thinking like, OK, this happened. Let's move on. Or sort of sort of changing your response to the situation. Is that right? Yeah, I think, you know, we, there's a lot of different um, kind of tips to how to be a more resilient person. And um, but you know, the, the general idea is that we see resilience in other people. We see people who have come from, you know, very, very distressing backgrounds and they become, you know, um, people in Congress. They become, you know, physicians like yourself. They they do really wonderful things with their life and people wonder how, how did that happen? How did they move past that? Or um, someone has a sudden death of a, of a spouse and then, you know, they start a, a charity and they are giving back and they're changing the world about something. You know, let's say their child uh, died of cancer and now they, they do 
part of that is kind of that idea of post-growth, you know, mm-hmm. and that that is an example of resilience, right? That's someone choosing to, you know, not um, not focus on the negative aspects of what happened, but figure out how to change that framework, look at that in a different way, and and kind of help, you know, um, guide or shape their life towards something that's really meaningful to them. So just like there's an ACES skill, there is a resilience skill. Right. And I did that online. And I was really excited because I got a 14 out of 14. So I thought, <laughs> yes, right. I'm not doomed. Um, but uh, how do we use like these resilience skills? You know, looking, for example, for me, okay, I got an ACES score of three, and then I have a resilience skill of 14. I think that means... What does that mean? (laughs) It probably means you have a lot of people that support you in your life. You have a lot of good, you know, um, things to kind of balance you out. I I like to look at resilience kind of if if you can imagine, I know this is a podcast, but a triangle, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of uh, with your with your hands. And so, you know, when the triangle is right side up, there's a very firm base, right, a steady base of things. And so those are all the things in your life, right? You have good connections to you have uh, a great job. You have, you know, um, maybe a spouse or an intimate partner in your life. And when people, when the triangle is flipped upside down and they're just kind of balancing on one, on one thing, right? This is the only thing that's keeping me going. You know, I'm a single mom, but I have my daughter, but my work isn't going well and all these other things that it's, it's, it's easier to not to feel resilient, right? You Mm -hmm. don't have those elements. And so, you know, when people recognize in themselves, I don't have a lot of things that help make people resilient, then, you know, that's part of, um, maybe a healing process for them is to start developing some of those, you know, those tips and, and, and kind of working towards that for themselves. That brings me to the topic of emotional fitness. You know, emotional fitness is, um, kind of what you're talking about is being able to build that resilience. Uh, Can you give me some examples of how we can become more emotionally fit? You look at uh, some of the things that we talked about already, nurturing a positive view of ourselves. So Mm -hmm. every time we, you know, have a judgment that happens in our brain about other people, about ourselves, usually it's about ourselves because we're harder on ourselves than even other people. um, We have kind of a choice, whether do we spend time with that thought, right? Do we give it importance and power and, you know, five minutes later, we're still thinking about it? Or do we go, oh, thank you, brain. Thank you for that. You know, moving on. Um, That becomes our choice. We don't have choice whether thoughts pop in our head. Because if I tell you right now, don't think about white elephants, you're probably thinking about white elephants. So the choice isn't there, but you know, the, the choice in terms of how to, you know, nurture ourselves and our self view, it's definitely there. You know, it's one thing to control your own thoughts, but then when people say things to you or you're around other other groups of people, like let's say in the workplace, you've got um, maybe a very strict boss and it's giving you a lot of stress. How do we how do we set boundaries about how we react to other people? And then a lot of, I mean, all of us have baggage. Like, how do we let go of that baggage so that we can be more resilient? I think the easiest way to look at it is, you know, boundaries are usually set by a person's values and what's important to them. And so, you know, we get to decide, um, you know, what kind of, uh, employee we are in the workplace and and how much of that we kind of you know take on uh, is you know a little bit our choice and it, it, when we look at everything as choice right whether I'm going to spend time with that thought or that feeling or emotion or you know what that's just par for the course today and that's just kind of part of what happens having those healthy boundaries with with people around us and in our you know different components of our life um, you know it's it's a life's work it's it's not yeah. something that someone does I mean it, you you do it all the time and you reevaluate and you know and, and and try to see if the balance is there for yourself uh, we were both at a coalition meeting this morning 
And uh, we had a speaker who was talking about triggers. And I loved what she said about when you have that trigger that gets you upset um, to stop, you know, stop your thought of going down that road of making up a story about what that person's thinking about you. Um, And then breathe, you know, just kind of breathe for a second. Don't react to what they're doing. And then she said, notice, you know, notice what's going on around you. Is your heart beating really fast? Are you about to, you know, freak out? Sort of like take a step back and then reflect. Reflect on what is going on in this situation. Is it really like a life or death situation that you need to get this upset about? Um, You know, how are you feeling right now? And then respond. And respond would be responding appropriately after you've sort of gone through those steps. So I really liked that she said, when you think about triggers, not only present triggers, but triggers of your past, of your childhood, of maybe, you know, your parents' divorce or being bullied as a kid or even um, having um, some type of sexual or domestic abuse, to sort of sit back and think of those things. Uh, Oprah did a 60-minute interview on trauma-informed care, um, and she said through all the trauma that she's had in her life, it wasn't until a fourth-grade teacher made her feel valued that she believed that she mattered. And she talks about opportunities for connection and trust and love. You know, what role can teachers and doctors, family members play in disrupting the cycle of ACEs? I think it's a great one. I mean, it's it's a big role to play. It's kind of a very important topic. I think asking and and recognizing that there is a link there is probably one of the more important things. Uh, when it comes to, to teachers, there's a big movement in the schools about having trauma-informed communities and school districts. And, and part of that is recognizing that that children do come in with with these things, right? If you have an ACEs of three, and you know, um, you know, Sally over there has four. Even though those aren't sixes and sevens, there will be a student in that class with a six or seven, and everyone brings something to the table when it comes to to kind of having these um, these responses in their body. So it's you know, kind of recognizing the different tools, offering resources, providing books holding parenting, you know, workshops. Um, but at the basic level, it's it's just having an individual conversation with a patient about what this is and, you know, how it can affect their health and what they can do about it. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I started using the ACEs screening, and I believe most physicians should start using the screening. And also schools, police departments, homeless shelters, faith-based communities. Um, we can all bring more awareness around resilience. And the best thing about this whole thing is, is that we can reduce youth suicide and teen pregnancy and juvenile arrest and high school dropouts by just supporting kids in our community and also supporting the adults when we think about what ACEs is. Um, What are some resources for building resilience that you can share? Yeah, so there's American Psychological Association has a great uh, piece on their website about resilience. There's 10 tips to resilience. There's some great uh, resources on there. There's actually quite a few websites about ACEs. So um, ACEs Too High, um, there's um, a lot of uh, nice uh, tip sheets on there, different links to um, some of these things that we're talking about, about resilience, about um, mindful habits or behaviors, different aspects that you could offer at all age levels. So if you're talking about adults versus children's or, you know, or families, uh, there's, you know, there's no shortage of resources out there for sure. 
There's also a book called The Resilience Cookbook. Um, and Tony Robbins is a big character that talks a lot about resilience. He went through a lot of childhood trauma, and he's got a lot of books and TED Talks, et cetera. And then there's an ACES website, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of resources on the ACES website as well. So, you know, the past affects our future, but we know that we can do something about it. So, Dr. Kolakowski, thank you so much for being here today and giving us your insight and helping us understand not only our children, but understanding ourselves. Thank you so much for being here today. It was my pleasure. Don't forget, my co-host, Dr. Nick Gilpin, and I are working in future Beaumont House Call podcasts. We're looking into how mindfulness can enhance health, topics such as fertility and what you need to know to overcome the challenges. What is the I family and why are rates of suicide and anxiety and depression skyrocketing? We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to the podcast at Beaumont.org. In the future podcast, we'll be answering our mailbag. Thanks for joining us on the Beaumont House Call podcast. We leave you today with this healthy thought. ACE's score is not destiny. An early trauma doesn't have to dictate your life story. ACE's is a tool for understanding your own risk for health and social problems and empower you to make changes for yourself and your kids. Remember, resilience has been shown to buffer the impact of suffering and chronic stress. Resilience isn't just a gift of nature or an exercise of will. Resilience grows through positive experiences, supportive environments, and caring interventions from others. By supporting trauma-informed approaches in our schools and businesses, you can help contribute to resilience. By talking and working together, from living rooms to clinic offices to legislative chambers, we can foster healthier, more vibrant lives for every child, teen, and adult.